Hello, and thanks for listening to Nerds About, a podcast where we take a deep dive on different subjects every week and interview a subject matter expert on some of your favorite chops, some of your favorite topics. Tonight, we are doing our first ever uh, rehash of a subject. Um, I think it's actually going to be really interesting. I'm here with my buddy Craig, and uh, you know, if you were listening a couple weeks ago, I talked with Drew Carroll about drumming in the music industry. The same thing we're going to talk to Craig about tonight. And uh, me and Craig were talking about this, and we're both kind of thinking that even though it's the same subject, the different perspective, the different experiences, and even comparing the two is just going to be really interesting. So with that being said, Craig, thanks for joining us, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So the one last thing that I'm going to say before we get into this is uh, the idea of this podcast, actually, you know, I had an idea for a podcast. I knew I wanted to do subject stuff, whatever. And then there was a conversation me and you had, you know, regarding some stuff that I mean, you've talked about before. We'll maybe, maybe get into it later. Yeah. And uh, that was whenever I kind of had the idea of, hey, I need to get people like you who are experts on these certain subjects in and interview them. And so really, Craig here is a huge part of why this is formatted the way it is. I just want to throw that out before we get started. Um, and so, Craig, with all that being said, what qualifies you as a subject matter expert on drumming and music industry in general? I think that uh, it started with just the love of the instrument. You know, mm -hmm. I had no aspirations to really be a professional drummer. I just felt like that I really liked to do it. It was yeah. a lot of fun to do. I spent hours and hours in my mom and dad's basement playing drums over the summer. And then when I would get home from school, another two or three hours. And it just began to kind of expand. My parents always had music on uh, in the in the house. Mm -hmm. You know, I was younger. Uh, my Uncle Don, my, my mom's brother, uh, was instrumental in me getting to start playing the drums. He went to my parents and said, this kid's a drummer. <laughs> and so that's how I kind of started. But then, um, so I have, I've been playing drums for 42 years. I started when I was 10 years old. Um, I went to college for music. I was in marching band, jazz band, uh -huh. all through uh, school. I was in the uh, Fresno City Jazz Band for a short stint. Um, I've done original projects uh, with my brother and with other people. Uh, I have about 500 hours of recording time under my belt at different studios. Um, I play guitar, I play bass. I play keyboards, I sing, I can harmonize. Um, but I think as, as far as being an expert on drumming is just the love that I have for the craft and yeah. just always wanting to learn something new, you know, because some of my favorite drummers, I mean, these guys are still taking lessons with guys that are better than them. And uh, I think that also just the amount of performance time that I've put in over the, over the years, uh -huh. that allowed me to do all kinds of different things where... I was playing some jazz. I've played in country bands. I've played in rock bands. I've played in heavy metal bands. I'm a classically trained percussionist. So there's just tons of experience that, that went into kind of bringing me to this point where I can just basically jump into just about any musical situation and be comfortable and be able to... Be able to know. excel in that situation. Exactly. So I've always wondered, you know, when you start jumping into different genres, I feel like a lot of musicians kind of find their lane and stay in it. But it's really interesting to me that you, you know, you're talking about jazz or country or rock and roll how does it change your approach with these different genres and playing with these different types of musicians and different you know different vibes in the different signs of music i think you know there's there's a, a personality with a group of people that you play with a, a group personality if you will mm -hmm. um i played with a, a motown cover band for a long time um and these guys kind of looked at me sideways because back in the day my hair was bleached blonde and I wore heavy rock and roll clothes and they're like, this guy yeah. can play Motown? Yeah. But, you know, my dad was a huge Motown fan and Stax Records and things like that, so it was just, just part of my musical DNA. So you get in and, and 
first of all, obviously you got to know the songs, you know, you Uh have to be familiar with the material, but then recreating the feel of that is, is probably the most authentic, important thing that you can do. A lot of guys can go, well, I can play that, that song. I can play like this drummer. Yeah. But it's, it's more of a, of a chemistry between all the players that they're all on the same page, but understanding the basis of all of that is the drums. If the, if the drums aren't right, nothing else is going to be right. Yeah. And so you talk about kind of getting the, the, oh, yeah, I can play like that guy. But how much are you saying, you know, with the personality and feel of the band and saying, hey, we're doing this song and it's clearly going to be this song. You're going to hear these lyrics. You're going to hear these melodies. But how much are you saying, you know, somebody who does a lot of cover stuff, are you, hey, this is our own song still within this cover? Yes, it's Back in Black by ACDC. But this isn't the exact, you know, I'm doing a rim shot here that he doesn't do it and you know, they're doing this a little bit different with the solo instead or, you know, stuff like that. How much does your own personality seep out in those covers? I think there's some stuff in, with cover bands, like the, the songs are sacred just the way that they are. So mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, willing to really get in there and kind of put my own fingerprint on it. Yeah. You know, like you mentioned, Back in Black, that song is great just the way it is. It doesn't need my help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Phil Rudd is an amazing drummer. He doesn't need me to fix anything he's ever done. But then there's other songs uh, that I've played, you know, over... 20, 30 years like funky music mm-hmm. that it it started to kind of take on a life of its own for me. That was like one song I felt safe that I could go, I'm gonna turn this into my own thing. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm just gonna go ham on whatever it is that whatever strikes me. I de- I never play it the same way twice because I like to experiment. I that song is so safe for me to be able to do that. But going into some of the stuff, you know, a lot of cover bands, if you go in and you hear them, they're playing them just like the record. You might as well just stay home and listen to the record. Yeah. You know, I, I like the um, some of the spontaneity that mm-hmm. some of the people I've played with recently where we can change something up and make it more than what it was, but s- still keeping it true to that particular that particular genre. You know, yeah. you know you're not going to start going Jimi Hendrix in the middle of like a slow Motown song. You know, you're going to try to stay true to the vibe, but there are some things that you can add to it and you have to trust the players you're with. Yeah. You have to really listen to what they're doing. They're listening to you. You're looking, you know, making eye contact with that person. So everybody kind of knows, hey, we're going to try something here. And it's yeah. a, kind of an unspoken thing. Um, but a lot of times it's just, I try not to play with players. They're going to, they're going to hold me back that they're going to keep me from mm-hmm. just from being able to do what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah. So that being said, with all these genres that you do and you, you talked about being going through all these different ones and how you can play with those, is there a specific genre that you end up playing most often that you prefer out of all of those? You know, what's really funny is that of, of if I had my way, uh-huh. I would want to be like an, like a funky rock band, like chili peppers or um, suicidal tendencies or uh, infectious grooves bands that have a really heavy rock edge to them, but also have like this really deep element of funk. Yeah. Um, but nobody really does that. So I find myself more in the, in the classic rock cover thing, you know, doing, yeah. doing eighties rock, doing some nineties stuff, you know, um, there's a big joke in the Fresno scene. We call it the Fresno set list. And it's the same 20, 25 songs. And you can go to any bar in Clovis or Fresno. Odds are you're going to hear probably 10, at least of those songs. And yeah. so, you know, we joke about that, but we keep going back to them because they work. They work. Yeah. And so, and your, your main project right now is uh, pirate radio, correct? Right. That's uh, that's my Friday night gig. Yeah. Your Friday night gig. And so, and they're, I know they're doing a lot of that and you guys play a uh, app Cal Madera a lot. Yeah. So with that group, is that how does that group? What's the, the dynamic within within Pirate Radio? And as you guys are playing this con- the classic rock, sorry I can speak. <laughs> you know, as they're playing this classic rock, how, how's the dynamic working within that group? 
I think that, you know, the the idea behind Pirate Radio is not just being great rock musicians. You know, because there, there are tons of great musicians in the scene, just tons of them. There's guys who are way better than me. But I think that what is unique about Pirate Radio is that you get the show mm-hmm. as, on top of the music. You know, we got some of the top players in Fresno playing in this band. And I'm fortunate enough to be a part of that. But it's not, you know, Dustin, who is the lead singer and kind of the, the main, you know, the master of ceremonies for the band. Yeah. He's not so interested in like having the best players as much as he is wanting to put on a fantastic show. If you come to a pirate radio show, it's lights, it's lasers, it's smoke. I mean, it's like you're going to see a concert. Even yeah. if it's in a tiny bar, you're going to get that concert experience. And there's really nobody else doing that. I think that's one thing that sets us apart from 95% of the cover bands that are in Fresno right now. Yeah. And so with your music experience, you know, you're talking about your, your degree in music and all the different, you know, playing guitar and bass and, and all these instruments, you know, harmonizing within that. How much are you involved in the production and background and setup for those full, you know, you're doing these full shows and the lights and how do you guys plan that out and what's your, um, I've always been real interested in like how scripted your live show has to be to know at this point the lights are changing for this thing, but still being, have the spontaneity and the engagement in a live show. How do you really like work around that? That's a, you know, it's kind of interesting in that with Pirate Radio, the lights are just kind of on and and they're uh, sound sensitive. So they'll kind of bounce on and off with what okay. we're doing, you know. But as far as like a, you know, a guy actually running lights, you know, at the end of the song fading all the lights out so you kind of get that finalization, boom, last note kind of thing. Yeah. There's not a whole of that a whole lot of that going on with AppCal, you know, you have a whole separate sound guy and light guy and he has our set list, so he's going to be mm-hmm. familiar with the songs that we're doing, but he's also familiar with the band in particular. Because you've worked with him a lot, yeah. We've worked with the guy a lot, so he knows that we, there are certain things that we do, and he's kind of watching for those kind of things. So, you know, once again, it all comes down to, like, we all have to work together. You know, if the sound guy is great, the music's going to be pretty good. If the light guy is great, the band's going to look pretty good. Mm-hmm. You know, if all the people are working out are fantastic, then you've got yourself a real show, something that's going to make an impression on somebody. Yeah. And so you talk, you're talking a little bit about AppCal and playing these different venues and, um, you know, being familiar with the sound guy over there at AppCal and all these other bars in Fresno and Clovis that you play, is there specific venues, types that you prefer that you guys feel you perform better at just because of personnel or because of the setting or what kind of affects your choice of venue and which one, which venues around the area do you like the best? I would say AppGal is definitely at the top of my list. Um, it's changed a lot over the last few years. I, I, there have been bands that have taken advantage of their process and their rules and things like that, so things kind of keep getting a little more stricter and stricter. Mm-hmm. Um <coughs> What ends up happening with that is that the bands who are, are a trusted brand that can go in there, you know they're going to slay every time they play. It's kind of, it's a little bit of a turnoff for us because we're like, well, hey, we, we weren't the guys that broke the rules. You know, why are you kind of being mad at us about it? Yeah. Um, it's, that's, a, that's a great venue. I mean, all things said and done, they run a class act out there, and those guys are really serious about putting on good shows. As far as, you know, bars that are around town, I'm not so interested in the venue so much as, as the, <laughs> the acoustics in the room. Because yeah. playing live drums, that can really make or break your drum sound. You know, because I have really nice, super expensive drums. And in a good room, they sound fantastic. But in a bad room, something that has a high ceiling, you got mirrors along a wall or a brick, you know, brick floor, cement floor, they just sound really, really hollow and really thin. And it's it it takes a little bit of the fun out of it for me because I'm just kind of like going, oh, I just wish it sounded a little bit better. Yeah. You know? <laughs> how, can, how can we adjust? How can we do this? So you're talking about your kit here. Where do you kind of fall on the, I know there's some drummers who are, you know, you've got Neil Pert, 
who literally gets walled in with his gear. My legend, my my hero. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got guys like, at least to my to my recollection, like Alex Van Halen. I know plays with a pretty bare bones kit compared to most guys in that scene. Where do you kind of fall in the gear spectrum, and what's your opinion on? Do you need more, or you know, hey, you should be able to get by with this, but if you can get more, get more. It's it's an it's an evolving process for me because I've I've been playing a four piece kit for gosh, about seven years now. Mm-hmm. I've had the big kits. You know, I've had the double bass and the multiple toms and tons of cymbals and things like that. And it's it's kind of like a um, what's needed for the gig. You know, yeah. when I play with Deep Cover, which is all Motown and funk, I have a little tiny uh, Yamaha Monokache kit, which has like a 16-inch kick, a 10-inch mounted tom, and a 13-inch floor tom. And you go, wow, you know, that's not going to sound very good, but they're professional-grade drums. They sound fantastic. Yeah. That's perfect for that gig, you know, because oh, I yeah. don't need anything for that. Uh, as as with Pirate Radio has kind of evolved. I mean, there's been several players that have come and go just in the about four years that I've been in the band. Uh-huh. Um, I started off wanting to kind of get back to basics. You know, I wanted more of like a a really organic, like kind of John Bonham sound. Yeah. And so I have like a 26 inch kick, which is a lot bigger than the standard kick oh, you're yeah. going to see on stuff. And it just it kind of it it looks really cool, which I totally dig. But um, but it also has a little more of a deeper um, not so in your face kind of sound, like I was saying, more organic. Um, but now I've got a kit that I'm putting on deck because my pork pies are getting messed up pretty bad uh-huh. in, in these gigs. So I bought uh, another kit, but it's like a seven piece kit. And so I'm thinking I'm going to kind of swing the pendulum the other way and, go and a just, bit and just, just go, go with something a little bit different, give me some more options for fills and things like that. Um, it won't change really the way that I'm going to approach the songs. It's going to be more about just being able, that's like at the end of the songs, doing some riffs and things to kind of close out the song with cymbal swells and, you know, mm-hmm. going around the kit, that kind of thing. That will give me some more options for that. But I don't really see it changing, like, the whole theory on, on what I'm doing. It's still all about the groove. It's still all about making sure the song feels right. You know, if you're playing John Cougar Mellencamp or if you're playing Alice in Chains, those things have very distinct feels. Yeah. You got, as a, as a drummer in a cover band, you have to be able to, nail the feel of those songs you know uh-huh. there's some guys that go well i can play like neil peart or i can play like alex van halen or i can play like you know uh, danny carey from tool well it's not going to work you know because what what you're doing is you have to serve the music first yeah you know and the drums whatever setup you're kind of playing it has to serve what you're doing you know and a four-piece kit will work for 98 percent of you're gonna, you're doing then that's that's more than enough definitely and so as you keep mentioning, uh, you know, we keep kind of going around this cover band, cover band stuff. What some of the stuff you've done, you said you've done original work pieces before too. What are some of the original stuff that you've gotten to work on and how is that approach different from um, approaching different cover stuff? The uh, the first original band I was in was called Ezra and they were a Christian rock band, um, kind of a la Metallica back in 89 and 90. And we were playing on the Hollywood Strip and I had the big double bass kit and, you know, and the songs were already written and they had already been yeah. recorded with another drummer. And so I got a chance to kind of digest what he did and then kind of go, well, what would I do differently but still serve the song? And okay. so I found myself kind of going, okay, I like what he did there, so I'm keeping that. But I, I'm not a big fan of, um, of Tom's, you know, like as part of a riff. I'm more of a cymbal kind of guy. Yeah. So I would change some stuff around that. And B.B. Uh, McGill, who was a guitar player in that band, is now Beyonce's guitar player. So, oh, okay. so, you know, a little frame of reference there. So yeah. she was playing this heavy metal stuff back in the day, and now she's a superstar with Beyonce's band. She had written a, ma- a majority of the material, so I just kind of came in after the fact and kind of, because because I felt free in an original band experience to kind of change it up a little bit, make it a little more comfortable for my style of playing. 
Um, for some of the other stuff, I played in a band with my uh, my friend Scott Silva, my brother Steve Judd, and we wrote a lot of original music. I didn't play any drums on that stuff. That was all guitar and keyboards. When it came time to record, we had a drummer for a while, but then some of our later stuff, I ended up playing the keyboards, the guitar, the bass, the drums, just going in, you know, laying down a bare bones guitar track and then just kind of yeah. building the song from the drums up, you know, lay down the drum track, then go and put in the bass track, guitars, keyboards, vocals, everything, last production at the end. So each situation is kind of original uh, and it's unique in that some things are, are kind of ready made. You just kind of jump in and plug in yeah. and go to work. Then there's other things where you start with a lyric and a, an acoustic guitar and you really build the song. Um, there was a short period of time I was working with my friend Ray Shea, who was a singer from Colorado, and we were doing all original music, and it was all electronic. I had a sequencing keyboard. So I was working with my friend Ray Shea, and I had a sequencing keyboard that had a built-in drum machine and like sequencers and things like that. So I wrote all this music on my keyboard, and then I would play a guitar along with that. So it was basically like a one-man band kind of thing, and Ray yeah. would sing. And I would, you know, sing backups or harmonies or whatever. But I wrote all of that music. But it, it was very, it was bizarre and eclectic because I would, was fresh out of college and I was experimenting with a lot of different things. So it would, it would be just something would occur to me or something would strike me. And I'd grab a pad and start scribbling some notes down. Uh -huh. or, or if I was at home, I'd go to turn on my keyboard and just plunk around on it. I always start with the drum beat. I'll put a little drum beat down first and loop that yeah. and build a song on top of that because I can't, I, I'm not one of those guys who can sit with a guitar and just start coming up with songs. There's got to be... There's got to be something to build on. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so as you're playing these different instruments, you've always primarily been a drummer in bands or have you ever, ever been in a band as a guitarist or as a bass player or just always been a drummer? Oh, yeah. Uh, with the Stampede, I was a lead guitar player. And so, I, like I said, I never even touched the drums with that band when we were playing live. Um and so it was kind of, I was kind of like the band leader. They kind of, everything was kind of all over the place. And they said, hey, can you come in and help us kind of put this together? And so I'm like, well, you guys already have a drummer. You don't, you don't need me. And my brother said, no, we need somebody to kind of help put the band together because, you know, yeah, it's, it's kind, kind of, of floundering. Yeah, kind of, you know, make decisions and, you know, run the rehearsals and make sure everybody's getting their parts covered and whatnot. So I spent about three years just doing nothing but guitar with wow. that band um i played in church um played a lot of keyboard a lot of piano in church um gosh probably about six years once again i i actually didn't own any drums from like 1990 until about 1999 i was all it was all just guitar and and keyboards and and writing and yeah performing in these you know uh, other areas so so you know, you talked a little bit about leading a band there, and then you've talked about being, you know, just being a part of these bands and coming into some of these bands from the beginning, and some of them you're coming in later. How is that different for you? You know, whenever you're kind of in charge and making most of the decisions, or hey, I, you know, you're, we agree, you're kind of the main decision maker, but I am still part of the band. I've been here since the beginning. Or hey, I'm the new guy coming in, and you guys have been playing together for two years, and I'm the new guy coming in for whatever reason. How how do those situations differ? And how do you have to approach them? Um, personality-wise with different people and different, you know, everybody's got their own thoughts and feelings on stuff like that, so. Well, I think, you know, first off, you have to come in with kind of a team player mentality, you know, especially like with Pirate Radio, that band had already been established. I didn't have to come and do anything except sit down and play drums. I wasn't even singing any backing vocals or anything for the first couple of months because mm -hmm. I wanted to get a feel for how they did their show, and it was a lot different than anything I'd really done as far as a cover band. Um and so our lead singer, Dustin, I mean, he's definitely the ringleader. He, he mm -hmm. picks the songs. He, you know, sets up the vibe for the whole thing. So essentially, you know, for like the first six months, I was like, man, I don't know if this is for me or not. Yeah. You know, because he wants to play everything really fast. And I'm more, 
uh, a more of a pocket player. I like to get deep in the groove and just kind of let the music speak for itself. But he wants everything to be peppy, peppy and have tons of energy yeah. and stuff like that. So we play songs a lot faster than they're recorded, which is very difficult for me because, you know, it's like I was talking earlier, like Hurt So Good by John Cougar Mellencamp. I played that song a million times. But getting into this band, he wants it to be a lot faster. Yeah. So I really had some some time that I that so I had to adapt to and and get used to it and decide ultimately if I wanted to be a part of it. You know, with a, a previous band that I played in, Big Shot, we were just all a bunch of guys that were friends. Uh-huh. And I was playing with a band, and some of these guys were playing with another band, and we all decided, well, I like you, and you like me, and we're all cool together. Let's put this band together. And that ended up being one of the biggest bands in Fresno for about seven years. Yeah. You know, uh, from 2000 to 2007, we played the, the big night in, in Fresno was Wednesday nights mm-hmm. at Porky's, which is now closed. They had the biggest night of any bar in Fresno, and we were the house band. Yeah. But it was one of those things. We had a love of the same kind of music. We were kind of similar personalities. So that was really just kind of a ready-made thing, I mean, for us, because we were all proficient players, and it just worked. You know, it just, it gelled the chemical, the chemical component of it was just there. Yeah. Especially, and so, you know, you talk about working with your friends, working with some of these guys, are you just, are you, when you like meet people for the first time with a band that you're playing with, as opposed to, hey, you guys are my friends and we're playing together, as opposed to, you've talked about like playing with your brother and stuff like that. Is there uh you know, how does the family component play into that? How does the, you know, oh, hey, we're friends. Are we still friends if the band's no longer together or, you know, what, how does that work out? That's, you know, it, it depends on the situation. You know, when I was doing the stampede with my brother and Scott, um, you know, I was kind of being torn between like doing that. Mm-hmm. And we went to Nashville for like a week and did a showcase with like six record labels and things, but I had little children at home Yeah, and my ex-wife was not having it, you know, she's like, you know, great. If you get famous, that's fantastic. But you know, we need you here. Uh-huh. And so when I kind of pulled out of the band, there was not like a fight between me and my brother, but there was kind of a cooling off period where everything was kind of weird between us. Yeah. You know? um, but that obviously has been repaired because we went back and wrote more songs together and recorded as a stampede. And then my brother and I just actually had a band of country covers called the Judd Brothers, and we just did our own stuff. Uh-huh. And that was really cool because he would write some lyrics, I'd strum a guitar, and the songs were just you yeah. know, popping. I mean, we could, we could write 10 songs in an hour. It was just amazing. Uh, working with my brother was great because... Obviously, having very similar musical upbringing, uh-huh. you know, because he's in the house with us, you know, so oh, yeah. exposed to a lot of the same stuff that I was. So that that was really kind of an easy process. With playing with friends, that that's a little more of a slippery slope, because with the friends you have the guys in the band, and then there's the girlfriends, and yep. then there's the drinking, and then there's there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the cover band things, mm-hmm. and any one of those things can go sideways at any moment. Yeah. So you, you really just kind of have to, you know, if, if you really like your friend, if you love your brother, you know, you give him a pass, let him do his thing. And, you know, like the t- times I went sideways, I'd come, you know, hey, guys, sorry about last night. You know, yeah. I was drinking the drunk guy. Sorry about that. You know, and we just all laugh about it, you know. Uh, but I think that, you know, with some people, they don't have a tolerance for that. So it's it's not an environment that they're going to thrive and be happy in. For me, you know, as long as every, everybody's cool and we're playing music that we want to play, then yeah. you know like, i can pretty much prevail. work yeah exactly and I, I can work in just about any situation you know as long as everybody's being really cool i mean i've quit bands because i didn't like people in the bands you know i've uh-huh. been fired from bands because i didn't get along with somebody in the band yeah. but uh, but you know those are such extreme situations for me because i feel like i can go into any situation musically or you know uh, 
in different personalities and just kind of navigate the terrain and, and get a feel for it and make it work. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned here, you talked about, you know, going to Nashville and having young kids at home. Now I know your kids are a little bit older. Yes, they are. Um, so I actually, I actually graduated high school with uh, Craig's oldest son, Jake. And so Jake is also a, a really big musician. And so I, I was interested in, I've seen him coming and being roadie for you. And I've seen, um, you know, him playing with you guys before. And so how was it like as a dad looking at your son who's coming up and doing his stuff in the music industry, what stuff were you kind of saying, hey, here's kind of a thing that I ran into when I was your age doing this type of music. You might want to watch out for that. What are some stuff where you kind of said, hey, you know, I have to kind of let you make your own mistakes. What, what was it like, you know, being a dad raising a son in the same industry that you're in? You know, that's it's, it's, a, it's a very unique uh, opportunity to, to really get close to one of your kids, you know, because uh-huh. you're speaking a language that you guys have in common. You know, the dad and son dynamic kind of goes away and you have, it's more of like a, a teacher or student thing yeah. versus say like, well, I'm, I'm your dad. You should do what I tell you to do. You know, I let him discover the music that he wanted to discover and play. You know, I never said, well, I wouldn't play that. Yeah. You know, I, he, <clears throat> he really liked like Rage Against the Machine and, and My Chemical Romance and things like that. Those are the things he started playing when he playing started playing guitar. And so I had to learn the songs so I could teach him the songs. Yeah. So it helped. It actually kind of helped me like discover some things that I maybe wouldn't have given a second listen to. But for, you know, like Jake is, he's uh, 26. And so he plays and he's an incredible musician. He finds more of a release in just sitting down with the guitar and noodling. Yeah. You know, he has played live. He does, does some live playing, but he really finds it, you know, just kind of based on my interactions with him, he just really likes to sit and just like create music, you know. I think if he could do it full time and get paid well, I'm sure he'd be 100 percent about it. But that is such an incredibly difficult thing to do, you yeah. know. If you don't have the right contacts, you don't know the right people, you know. You don't just. I mean, because a lot of it's luck, you know. If you're gonna mm-hmm. do what I do and do it professionally in the cover band thing, you know, you have to have a certain amount of professionalism. You got to be on time. You got to have good equipment. Yeah. You can't be rude. You know. You got to talk to the people that are there to see you. That kind of thing. Um, Whereas with Jake, he was really pursuing kind of this really super hardcore, um, like music, this really super heavy kind of stuff. And there's a dynamic that goes along with that that I'm not familiar with. And so that was kind of his time to discover. Hey, you got to figure out what's got to go here. Exactly. Can't really help you, bud. Yeah, exactly. And so basically, I just gave him life lessons, life lessons stuff like, okay, don't be a noob. You know, don't go in and, and. start telling people what to do, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I said, you know, you're the young kid, you know, the young buck coming in here. Listen, listen to what they're doing, you know, because mm-hmm. I told him, I said, you know, I've been playing music all my life pretty much. I still don't know it all. Not yeah. even close. And so I said, you know, come in and be humble and you'll probably learn something and people will respect that. I think that was probably the biggest thing that I told him that he seems to have grasped. Yeah. So you're talking about with these bands, you talked about professionalism, so I want to go ahead and get something that's going to be way on the opposite side of that real quick. All right. <laughs> Having heard some of your shows at uh, Abcal before, they've had uh, cover bands come in that have been kind of the headliners that are specific, you know, specific bands. Uh, there was a Bon Jovi cover band one time that was right. specifically Bon Jovi. And uh, listening to, to you guys and listening to them, and part of it, you know, part of it maybe is you're familiar with the guy at Abcal, the sound guy is familiar with you guys, not familiar with the band coming from out of the area. But when there's a band that's doing a specific band covers and all that stuff, whatever, and at least in my opinion, you guys play those songs better than they do. 
How do you ever, you know, do you have a feeling about that? Do you have a, do you just kind of go, hey, you know, they, they maybe, they, you know, give them some excuse or. You know, I've, I've heard it. Um, this is my third summer playing at AppCal. This, we just did our last show there a couple weeks ago. Um, and I've, I hear it all the time. Like you guys were like better than the, he- the headliner band. Mm-hmm. And I think it boils down to like, I, my favorite band in the world, of course, is Rush. Everybody knows that. Anybody yeah. who knows me knows that's that. I love to sit down and listen to Rush, but I won't listen to an entire CD. Like, a song will pop in my head. Ooh, you know what? I'm going to go and listen to that song. Yeah. You know, I think that it's it's a cut, it's a double-edged sword with these these uh, tribute bands that just do Bon Jovi, just do Motley Crue, things like that. They get really caught up in kind of looking like those guys and acting like them. Um, when, to me, like, the first thing I'd be concerned about is making sure the music is correct. Because if you're calling yourself an ACDC tribute band... You better sound just like those guys. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. you know, no, nothing about it. You should be able to go in and just sound exactly like that band. And people go, well, it's, you know, it's three chords. It's rock and roll. ACDC is deceptively dif- difficult to play. Oh, yeah. Um, Definitely. You know, people go, well, yeah, it's just, you know, three chords and a guitar solo. Well, you try it. Make, try, you try it and sound like those guys. Yeah. Because th- you want to talk about chemistry among those guys. Those guys had played together for 20 years. Uh huh. And they just, I mean, you just listen to it. I mean, the chemistry is there. Like they all know what they're supposed to be doing and they're all good at what they do. Yeah. You know, with, with us in, in pirate radio, I think it kind of goes back to the thing that we want to put on a show, but our music speaks for itself. Yeah. You know, we're all great musicians. So we get out there and you know, it's, it's kind of fun being on the big stage with the pro sound and the lights and stuff. You feel like a rock star. Oh yeah. You know, you, you we, we were playing in a bar last night. Well, now you're playing an app cow. And it's, you know, got the pro sound and the lights and there's a huge crowd, you know, thousands of people. And it, it, it's like, you kind of feed off their energy as they're feeding off of yours. You know, you start to get more amped up and you start having more fun with it. You know, it took me a long time to get to the point where I could just have fun with Uh it. I took myself so serious back in the day, you know, because I wanted to just be as, as incredible as I could possibly be practicing for hours and hours and learning all the songs and learning all these difficult riffs. And I kind of lost the, the fun aspect of it. Mm-hmm. You know, when I didn't play for a few years and I was like, okay, I think I want to play drums again. It was fun. Yeah. I kind of shed that whole coil of like taking myself so serious and kind of went back in and I was so rusty and like the stuff I could do before couldn't even get close to it. And so it was like this whole learning process, kind of relearning, but relearning it better with, with, with more intelligent, more mature ears. Yeah. You know, and just getting getting a real new look at with new eyes on some of the stuff that I hadn't played in forever uh-huh. and some of the stuff that I, I just couldn't play. And that was, yeah. so I was like, man, I used to be able to knock this out when I was 13 years old. You know, your 13, 13 year old version of knocking, you know, Tom Sawyer out Yeah, versus, versus your 33 or 35 year old version of you knocking Tom, Tom Sawyer out. You go, man, I didn't have this at all. <laughs> oh yeah. I didn't have this, not even close. I thought I could play the riffs. I was so out of there, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, you just mentally, you mentally prepare yourself, you know, you have to, you kind of have to look at it like another gig so you don't freak yourself out, uh-huh. but you got to be professional. You, re, you re, It's like going to the Super Bowl. you know, you're doing the best thing that you can possibly do with, within what you're doing. You're like at the, the, you're the Super Bowl of, of what you're doing. Yeah. So you, you, you really do kind of get hyped up about it and the crowd hypes you up and you get yourself hyped up and, and you set high standards for yourself. Like, you know, okay, we're, we're not doing a whole night's worth of gigs. We're doing two short sets. So I can go 100% the whole time, you mm-hmm. know, because playing a four-hour gig in a bar, you know, you can't just go out and you're playing the oh, first no, note no, no, 100%. No. 
I'd be dead, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, mental preparedness, having fun with it, being confident in the players that you're playing with and knowing that people, they're glad to see you. But then I think there's a little tiny aspect, at least for me, that I go, yeah, I kind of want to sound better than the band that's headlining. Yeah. You know, so there's a little bit of like, well, let's see if we can stick needle these guys a little bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you kind of talked about it already, but um, having drummed for so long, having been in music for so long, you know, you talk about 13-year-old you nailing the riff in Tom Sawyer versus, you know, now going, oh, yeah, no, no, not at all. <laughs> you, you know, what's kind of some of the things that have changed the most for you throughout, uh, you know, a life in music, a life in drumming? What, you know, looking back now at where you were whenever you started to where you are now, what were some of the bigger things that changed in the scene and how you approach it and how other people approach your music? How has all that just, I mean, evolved? I think that, you know, music is, is kind of a living creature. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of components of chemistry between players. And even if you're just, you know, um, playing music, you know, you and a guitar, or if I'm just you know, in our basement at home practicing, you know, mm -hmm. playing along with Tom Sawyer or stuff like that. I think that there was a time when I was young where I had the leisure to play whatever I wanted, however long I wanted to. Yeah. The freedom of that was, was just amazing. I got to explore and expand my art, learn stuff. You know, I was constantly pushing myself to learn harder stuff, but then also to learn different stuff. I always wanted to be able to play country and play jazz and play hard rock and play progressive rock. And so I had the opportunity to explore all those things. And it just, all those things kind of went through the filter and it kind of became mm -hmm. what I am now as far as a, a specifically a drummer. Um, cover bands, you know, going from the 80s to the 90s, you know, there was, there was a few bands in Fresno that were really killer, but there wasn't really a live music scene per se. I mean, yeah. there, there was a little bit of one, but it's not like it's today. I mean, you can't throw a softball in any direction, not hit a cover band in Fresno anymore. Yeah. There's tons of them, you know, and I like all those dudes. Um, and they're a lot, some of them are good players. Some are just okay players, but they're out there slogging it out. Yeah. You know, trying to, trying to make that money and, and just, you know, be the weekend warrior. You know, I got a Friday mm -hmm. night gig, so I'm going to go ham out there and, and have fun. Um, you know, in the, the 2000s, that was probably like the best era for Fresno as far as cover bands because the bands were making great money. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was personally bringing home 200 bucks a night on Wednesday night. So I know the, the bar was kicking down probably a thousand bucks because we had four players and we also had our own sound guy Yeah. and roadie guy who brought all our stuff in, set all our stuff up. We basically just showed up and played and that was fantastic. It was kind of like the, like the golden years of, of the, of the yeah. music scene in Fresno. But then things change, you know, bars close, other bars open, players leave that, you know, some players go, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh -huh. And you have young guys that come in, but you don't really see like young guys coming into the music scene, specifically the cover scene now and still doing what us older guys are doing. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not out. They don't have any desire to play hurt so good. You know, they're doing they, what they grew up on. Exactly. So they're covering 90 stuff. They're trying to do Pearl Jam. They're trying to do stuff from the, from the early 2000s unfortunately you know the crowd has changed you don't see a lot of young people at uh -huh. bars you know at least the bars that we play in and it might just be because that's the crowd that follows us they're yeah. older folks but you know if you go into you know a, a, a millennial bar you're not gonna see a cover band no you know it's gonna be dj and it's gonna be quiet so people can talk you know stuff like that whereas you know we're kind of you know kind of in the the wanting years of, I think, cover bands as, as we know them right now, it's going to change. It's, it's going to, 
and I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go because like guys like me who finally go, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Or, you know, I want to pursue some original projects. So, you know, what's going to happen once pirate radio is gone, what's going to happen when Mr. Root is gone, you know, who's, who's going to fill that void. And there'll be some, you know, other bands out there, some B tier and C tier bands that'll step up and play those gigs. But at some point, those guys are probably going to, going to age out too. Yeah. And they're not going to want to get out there and play those songs that are 30, 40 years old stuff that we still love and still like to play. Oh yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned, and because it uh, lets me circle back to what I mentioned at the beginning, uh, you talked about with one of these bands being able to bring your own sound guy. And so there was an event where I got to actually mix the sound for your Motown cover band. Yes. And I remember a very specific conversation we had with you that, that I've used a ton in training other sound guys, which is that the sound guy is a part of the band. And you said this is a three-piece band, but it's not. It's a four-piece band because the sound guy is the fourth guy. Absolutely. He has to be on track with all the stuff going into that. And so... Um, a, that conversation was the one that made me say, hey, I need to like make this podcast into an interview type thing and get people who can speak to stuff like that. B, once again, in a music episode, I'm saying, hey, stroke my ego. And <laughs> C, the, you know, really the question here is, um, I kind of just want you to speak more to that, of the sound guy being part of the band. And you, know, you talked about a bunch of app cal of, hey, that guy just, he knows what we're going to do. He knows how we're going to do that. And so kind of the, once again, the background and the sound guy being part of the band how much does that affect what you guys do and at different venues with newer sound guys or guys you know hey i know this song but i don't know this band as well how does that affect i think that you know that conversation that you you know that you kind of uh, uh, pointed out was that when you're when you're with a new sound guy you know just a you have to be kind of familiar with what that band is going to do mm-hmm. you know you don't have to immerse yourself in kind of like their whole scene or whatever, but you have a feel for what they're going to do. I think that, you know, it behooves the musicians to go, this is kind of what we want, you know, because, yes. oh, you, like, so. you know, because you, who knows what they want? Hey, I want a ton of guitar in my monitor, you know, and other guys like, no, I don't want anything in my monitors, you know, so it's, it's that conversation, you know, just kind of stripping it down to what's going to help you do your job as a sound guy. That's going to make us sound good, but it's also going to make you look good. You know, yeah. um, I think that, you know, a perfect example of that is uh, for the first couple of years we played at Apcal, they had a sound guy that had been there forever. Uh-huh. And so he uh, ended up leaving and the new sound guy was the lighting guy from the previous years. He had some experience with sound, but when he started running sound last year, I, I have a very distinct memory. We were uh, opening up for an ACDC tribute band mm-hmm. and we actually opened up for again this year, um, but they were just yelling the whole time turn up the monitors turn up the monitors because they have a digital setup where they store the setup well from the years previous he couldn't find the things so he was trying to dial everything in and and he ended up pulling up the completely wrong patch for some other band that hadn't played there in years yeah brought that one on deck everything's feeding back monitors are going crazy the lead singer is like screaming at the sound guy turn up the monitors turn up the monitors you know you just like musicians, sound people. You you have to be on point. Yeah. You know you got you got to understand what your role in that is. Like I said, I mean you're definitely like the the fourth member of the band. You know you're the fifth Beatle. Yeah. You know, because if you're not doing your job, we can't do our job to the best of our ability. Everybody fails. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. So last thing I want to ask you before we get out of here is uh, somebody who's listened to this who, you know, you talked a little bit about the next generation not really being there in cover bands. But if 
somebody listens to this and says, hey, well, I want to be that next generation, what advice would you give them? How should they get started into uh, the world of music and the world of cover bands? I think that, you know, there there has to be a demand for that thing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that that demand was already kind of there when I kind of got plugged into the music scene in, in Fresno because I started playing drums again like in early 2000s, and by the end of 2000, I was in a cover band. Yeah. You know, so it was like this really rapid, like, you know, surge in, like, trying to figure out what it is that I'm going to be doing with that. And so the identity was already kind of there. You know, I just kind of showed up, started playing. Yeah. But somebody, you know, a younger person, you know, listen to the stuff that you like. Fall in love with that stuff. Now ask yourself, does somebody else want to hear that? Uh Would people pay to come see a band play White Stripes or the Black Keys, you know, um, Highly Suspect, all that kind of different stuff that's really cool and really new. But it's, it's almost like, like, because everybody has a computer and has internet access, everybody can download software under their laptop and record their own music and put it on the internet immediately. Yeah. I think the only issue with that is that it doesn't go through like the quality control process. There's not somebody going, that wasn't very good, man. You shouldn't do that. Or that song is not great. It's probably, it, it's, it's there, but it just needs some more work. Or that's fantastic. You should go do that thing. Yeah. You know, I think being brutally honest with yourself and letting other people be brutally honest with you is like the best thing that you can do. Because it, it hurts when somebody goes, man, your drum, drum playing kind of stunk on that. Then I have to go, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Tell me why. How does yeah. that, how does this work? I think for a young person doing stuff today, you know, if you want to play 80s rock, man, it's ready made. You can just jump in there and start doing the thing. But if you want to do a cover band, like I was mentioning some of these other bands, find a place where that works. Find a place where people of similar interest are going to want to be a part of that and see somebody, excuse me, see somebody do that live. Yeah. You know, because anybody can grab a guitar and go sit on a corner. But if you want to be part of a scene, part of a, a, you know, a cover band or music scene in any city that has any type of scene, you have to bring something that people want, you know, because I would love to play in a Rush cover band. There'd be like five people in the audience, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's, but, but I understand that. So I would never want to like push that to try to make that happen. Cause that's, that dream is dead. You know, it's yeah. not going to work, but there's lots of great music out there. You know, I actually, I don't even listen to classic rock on the radio anymore. Uh-huh. You know, I, I listen to like new rock uh, and I listen to like um, the blaze, which plays a lot of heavier rock. Yeah. I find myself really attracted to some of the, like the newer rock, like the, some of the new black key stuff is incredible. I totally dig it. Oh yeah. Uh, Highly suspect is probably my new favorite band right now. Um, it's very dark, but yeah. I love the musicianship. I love the vibe that they're putting out. You know, that is something that I believe young people would love to go see, you know, because that seems to be kind of where things are, Right now, musically, you know, yeah, and I like that there's there's kind of this whole explosion, like anything kind of goes right now, uh-huh. you know. Hard rock is great, you know. Pop rock is great, you know. This is great, that's great. I mean, you can hit a radio station and get twenty different genres, yeah, you know. And I think that's really fantastic. That's one thing that I'm glad that like format radio is kind of going away, uh-huh. and you're getting these stations that will play a, a, a wider variety of things, yeah. You know, like um, uh, Star 101. I mean, they do. I'll hear some pop music. I'll hear some country stuff. I'll hear some more rap, like bass kind of stuff. So you get more of a feel for like what's out there. You know, if you want to be a great musician as a young person, learn everything you possibly can. Don't limit yourself to one instrument because I never wanted people to look at me and go, oh, that guy's just a drummer. And then let the drummer jokes begin, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, like I started playing drums and like a year later, my dad bought me a guitar. 
So I learned to play guitar, and a year later, I bought myself a bass. So I taught myself mm-hmm. to play the bass. And I plunked around on the keyboard a little bit, and once I went to college, I had to learn to play piano. Yeah. And that was tough, you know, because really, because I really am just a drummer. So I had to, <laughs> <laughs> I had to really push myself to figure that out. But somebody told me, well, you know, piano is a percussion instrument. I was like, oh, it's drums. Okay, totally makes sense. And so, yeah. <laughs> so it, it it was weird. Like a month into music theory, like the light just popped on and it made sense. And then you know, the rest is my torrid history, if you will. Definitely. <laughs> well, Craig, thank you for joining us. At- Really, really enjoyed talking about this. Really enjoyed hearing all the stuff about the cover bands. And everybody listening, thank you for joining us and being nerds about drumming.